Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Uh, This week has been an amazing week, very full, all kinds of things, and perhaps you stayed up late watching returns come in, regardless of all of that stuff. It's been a busy, full week. It has been a busy, full weekend. How many of you loved the weather that has come upon us this weekend? It is just beautiful, right? Man, that hail yesterday, that was rad. I was in the middle of a class on a Zoom call with some people teaching, and I had to even push pause on the class because they couldn't even hear me because it was that loud. It was just just gorgeous. You know who it wasn't gorgeous for, though, is uh, yesterday afternoon I performed a wedding. Yeah, yeah, you feel it. And it's not just any wedding, not like people who live in California, like, you know what, we'll just you know, roll with the punches. Uh, this couple that I met a few months ago, friend of a friend, right? That's how the link happens. They live in Texas, they live in Houston. All of their plans this year for their wedding got changed. And like, you know what? We're going to take a small crowd of people. It's going to be a destination wedding. We're going to go to Laguna Niguel. We're going to be on the cliffs right by the Ritz-Carlton overlooking the ocean. It's going to be an amazing time. And then California had hail and rain and cold and everything got changed. And so this bride who had these big plans got stuck in a ballroom. Right? You feel it. Like, I've got pictures to prove it. Like I was trying to tell people, like, they, they, they were supposed to be out there. It was going to be amazing. You could see the ocean, but you saw the storms come in, and I'm talking to the family afterwards. I'm like, this, this looks like a Houston storm. And they're like, it's not funny. And I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, does this happen all the time in California? I'm like, it hasn't rained in months, right? We've had fires. We've been waiting for this, and we're so sorry it happened on your wedding day. But this idea of wedding, we understand these, these, uh, these moments that happen when people say, I want to get married. They make that decision. Questions have been asked, and they get to that day where they're going to celebrate. Weddings have been happening for centuries, millennium, if you will. People have come together and done this, and the customs look different from place to place and ultimately from time to time. If we think about our customs, we know how things typically go. There, there might be a question by the guy to some dad and say, hey, do you mind? And he might say yes, might say no, might say, hey, you need to work for it a little bit more. And eventually you get to this day where everything's okay, and there's going to be everyone's dressed up, and they're looking awesome. You've been to these weddings. You know what I'm talking about. And you, you get, like, the doors open in the back, and she comes in, walks down with her dad. The attendants this way and this way. We know how it works in our culture. But there's different kinds of wedding cultures that happen, and there's even one that happens in Scripture. And this is the passage that we have today. And I'm going to tell you something. I've never preached this passage because I don't know what to do with it. I mean, I hope I know by now what to do with it, but we're not just thinking out loud. My stream of consciousness right here. But I've always seen this passage. I'm like, why is that one included? Why would Matthew, this gospel writer, who wants to tell the story of Jesus' life, why would he possibly include this story? And I've never really heard it explained in a way you're like, yep, that's it. So, verdict's out. We'll see if you feel that way by the time we're done today. So turn to Matthew chapter 25. It's just the first 13 verses. And to lay some groundwork, you understand Matthew's position in life. He is 
he, I don't think he knew he was going to be the first book or letter in the New Testament, but he got positioned there. And Matthew has a certain group of people that he's writing to, and he wants to convey something. And most scholars would say the way that Matthew writes, his language that he uses, he's writing to a very, very highly Jewish culture. And so he's aware of the customs and the concepts of the Jewish people, which is why he at times will include moments like Matthew 25 where he describes something that's about to happen. So here we go. So the first, the first 13 verses, 13 verses of Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, ten virgins took their lamps, took their lamps, out to meet the bridegroom. bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five of them were foolish. And five were wise. The foolish ones, the foolish ones, took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight. The cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us, both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins, who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Done. So there you go. This is a story that we hear about. You probably hear a little bit. You're like, I just, I guess I can get the concept. And if we understand the setting of the day where Jesus is talking with his people and the way that Matthew orders them, because you also have to realize that Matthew is writing this after the fact of Jesus's death and resurrection. So, right, he's writing a bit of a historical account on the life of Jesus and trying to remind these Jewish people that he's talking to, you have long been waiting for the Messiah. You constantly are saying, when is he coming? Let me tell you a story about this guy, Jesus. And so as he lays the case out and even describes, hey, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let me, let me paint this picture for you. It's going to be like this, this wedding ceremony. And he mentions there are ten virgins. And it's less about their sexuality in this moment. It's more so other, other versions will actually translate it. Um, they're just, just part of the bridal party. These are bridesmaids, if you will. And they stand with the party that would typically gather for a wedding ceremony. And so we ultimately hear him say, oh, there's five that are foolish and five that are wise. And I've been to some weddings, and I will say there are some attendants that might lean towards the foolish side and some that might go towards the wise side. But that's neither here nor there, and that's not germane to our topic. But why is it that Matthew is describing the story that Jesus tells? Because these are words of Jesus to his people that day. And he's saying, this is what it's like. There are five who are going to be foolish and five who are wise. Well, that's par for the course for Jesus because he's already described wise and foolish things. 
He's talked about wise and foolish builders before. You know, the one who built his home upon the sand, the fool, and the one who built his home upon the rock, the wise one. And so for Jesus, this theme continues to happen, and he's separating people. He's wanting to know, where will you stand? And so in your life, as you consider this Jesus of Nazareth, this storyline of this person who not only comes and says good things like most rabbis would, his life changes everything because of the death and resurrection on the cross. And Matthew's story is getting there. But here in Matthew 25, we find ourselves in the midst of Jesus telling stories of almost, you don't know the time. You don't know the hour of my return. You don't know these things. But let me tell you a story of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he'll tell stories like it's like a thief in the night. You don't know when the thief is coming because if you knew when the thief was going to come to your house, you would board it up differently. You would be prepared. And so when Jesus tells this story, he's kind of on that same line of thought. I want to tell you what the kingdom of light, the heaven is like. It's like ten virgins, five that are foolish and five that are wise, and they're waiting for the bridegroom. But that doesn't look like our weddings, and so it's really hard to get a concept for what this looks like, because rarely are they just waiting with oil lamps. I've yet to be to a wedding where they're waiting with oil lamps. I feel like it could be cool, but they don't do that today in 2020. I feel like we should add it to 2021, see if it would improve things. But in our neck of the woods, what we do for weddings, we kind of gather at some place. Perhaps it's a church, perhaps it's some wedding venue, and everything's going to be gussied up. It's going to be decorated, but not back in those days. They might have found a nice place, someone's house, but the tone of the day for a wedding ceremony was everybody would gather at the bride's house. And the bride's not mentioned in here. We just get talk of the virgins or the bridesmaids and the bridegroom. But everyone would gather in that early Palestinian culture at the bride's house. And the wait was for when the bridegroom, the man, would come, and then the bridesmaids would go out to meet him. It's the same language that we get in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul is trying to help the people understand what's it going to be like when God comes back. And it's that storyline that we get in Thessalonians, perhaps it's familiar territory for you, where we hear, you're like, well, when the trumpet is sounded, we will go and meet him in the clouds. And a lot of Christians for so long have thought, well, that's the call. That's the moment of rapture. That's the moment when we go get to be in the clouds and we get to go out of here because this world has been really painful. God, could you just take us out of here? But that's not the concept that Jesus is portraying, nor is it any good, helpful theology when we consider the Bible. Because God is not trying to get us out of this place. He's actually put us here to be a part of the redemption story of his people. And so this idea of going into the clouds, like Paul writes in Thessalonians, just like the, bride, the bridesmaids, the virgins are going to go out and get the bridegroom to come in. It's this idea that was well known in that first century context. Because any time that Caesar came to town or any major general, all the townspeople, all the major leaders in the town would go out and meet them and walk them in. So when you hear Paul talk about in Thessalonians, when that trumpet is sounded and we meet him in the clouds and it sounds like ethereal language, like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it sounds crazy because that's what Christians do. They talk crazy. This idea when we go to the clouds and welcome the Lord back in, it's not because he's taking us out of this place. He's actually bringing, he's, help, he's asking us to help bring him here. And this is the idea that Jesus tells the story of the bridesmaids who, when they're ready, they go meet the 
bridegroom and welcome him into the story. Well, who is the bridegroom in this story? And this is no tip-off. This is not a crazy moment for Jesus to tell this story. Because chapters before in Matthew, in chapter 7, he's already said, he's made allusion that he's the bridegroom. He's the one who's coming to the party that day. And there's going to be a major banquet, but yet what do we do with five foolish girls and five wise girls? How do we make sense of this? Because there have been many thoughts on this concept. Like, well, you just got to be, you know, you got to make sure you have more oil. And then many people are like, well, what does the oil represent? And some people are like, well, it means like, you know, good works and things like that. Or faith. But the issue with that is you can't really go by faith, right? Because if we get the story right, the five wise ones said, ah, we can't give you ours. Because if we do that, none of us will have enough. So you might as well go find some store owner that has some and go buy it. The problem is it's the middle of the night. You don't light oil lamps at 9 in the morning. You light them at the evening because you need to see. And why is the bridegroom so late? That's the frustrating part of this storyline. What bridegroom shows up at midnight? There have been weddings I've been a part of that have started late, but never at midnight. Is Jesus perhaps using a bit of hyperbole? Probably. Is he helping people understand, like, that's, don't worry about when the bridegroom arrives. The question is, is, are you ready and are you prepared? And I feel like that's the word of the day for us today. Are we ready and are we prepared? And I'm not giving this end time sermon right now. I'm not ready. Like, we're not raising our hands and saying, are you in, are you out? But what is Jesus doing? He cuts like a knife in our understanding of nominal Christianity. He is not saying to us, you don't just get to check the box. There's been a lot of people that say being a Christian is check the box kind of living. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to go to heaven, so uh, today I'm a Christian. The problem with that is Jesus actually is asking for our lives to look differently when we say, I'm a follower of the king. And so when I read this story, and as confusing as it is, and I've wrestled with it all week, and I wanted to tell a story from Joshua because that's amazing, but Matthew would not leave my focal point. And perhaps the Lord is saying, hey, Brenton, are you aware are you aware of what's happening in the story that you need to be aware of? And it's not just me talking to you like you got to fix your issues. It's me talking to me as i got to fix my issues. And we've been to those weddings. We know what it looks like. It takes so much work to be prepared. And the concept for Jesus when he tells this story is, are you ready? And you cannot bank on someone else's readiness. I don't get to live on their version of faith or their Christianity as if, they put me on the list and I get in because I know them. I like going to parties like that. I like going to places where I know someone and I can get in. My kids are fast aware of this concept. It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? That's the kind of world that we live in. And so anywhere that I'm going, I'm going to figure out, like, who important can I talk to and where can I get with this? Like, what is it going to go? It has often led to nothing. Can I get an upgraded seat? I'm like, we don't know you. Like, okay, doesn't work that way. But at the end of the story, when the bridegroom arrives and the five who've got enough oil, they go out to meet the bridegroom to welcome him into the party, and the party begins. 
And then there's the five who aren't ready, and they try to get in, and the door is locked, and you're like, that sounds a little harsh. Is Jesus harsh like that? Kind of messes with our understanding. Why in the world would he say things like this? Because he's trying to get across, are you ready? Not are you ready to die and go to heaven? Because that's not the theology that we're talking about. He's just saying, are you ready for when the king is asking of you to be aware of his presence in this world and bring the good news that people need to hear? Are you ready? Because I don't want to just go through life and be like, I'm clocking in and clocking out on this Christianity thing. And perhaps you're here and you're checking it out and you don't know what Christians are all about. I'd love to have a further conversation and walk with you through that. But for us, when we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of the king, it begins to make things look differently in my life. The way that I treat my neighbor, my coworkers, my family, I don't always get that one right. But then we get this storyline of the party, and we get the understanding of, are you going to be left out of the party? And again, you're like, I know this is that theology that Christians want to say, you're going to be left out. But the idea is, am I prepared to be a part of the party? Am I prepared to be a part of what God is doing? Because the kingdom is at work. Speaking of weddings, I do these a lot. Like People get married all the time, and they need a pastor. So a few years ago, people that I knew more than the people from Texas yesterday, um, I knew these people, really knew them for years and their son was getting married. He was a college student, and he found this woman, and he wanted to get married. They invited me to the party, which is the ceremony. I did the ceremony. I did my thing. You walk through the vows. You go through the exchange of rings. You have these moments. And most people, even my daughter yesterday, she had the nerve to say, the ceremony, that's like the boring part. Like the reception, like that's the fun part. I'm like, what do you think I do in life? I show up and I do these ceremonies. Yeah, 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 but you just talk a lot and then we have a party. You're like, you're ruining my life, girl. So I did this wedding years ago. These people that I knew really well. And we get through the ceremony, everyone does their moment, people are high-fiving, like people are crying because they couldn't believe that they actually did it. And then like pictures are being taken. And my wife and I are like, let's go, go find our seat. We go to the place where they have all the names. Have you seen these at weddings? Like the table assignments? You're like, you're going to find your seats. So we just keep looking. We're like, I mean, I'm the officiant. I'm on the list. Like, it's a shoe in Maybe they didn't even just put, maybe they didn't put me up there. We just keep looking. We're like, where? Where is my name? And then Rachel's like, I don't think they remembered. Nah, really? Like, let's just wait. Let's just sit in the back and we'll see if there's any seats left. We waited. Everyone sat down. They're like welcoming the wedding party in. And there are not two seats available. I think we should probably leave. So we just left because we weren't invited to the party. They didn't do it on purpose. There was no, no aggression on their part. Like, all we wanted you to do was play the part of like doing the, the ceremony thing, which your daughter says is boring but we weren't invited to the party. And it hurt a little bit. You walked away, you're like, I missed out on something. And that's the essence of this story when we get to the end of it, and it seems a bit harsh, but God is saying, are you ready to join what I am doing in this world? You do not get to live on someone else's version of this faith. 
nominal Christianity, this lukewarm version of it, is not going to last. I don't get to just check the box on my sheet and say, yeah, I agree with that. Nor do I get to tell, I, nor do I get to have people tell me what being a Christian is like if it's outside of what I get to see the king doing. Because there has been a lot of things said about what a Christian is supposed to do. And I want to gauge my, my awareness of the kingdom by how God is challenging me to participate. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it says to me, I have to lay down my agenda to pursue his. I have to consider what's the king up to this week, this week, not what is it that I'm up to. I don't get to look at my calendar anymore and say it's all of my time. And God's saying, are you making any space for me? And this is not the guilt trip for you. It's the guilt trip for me. Do I have space and margin beyond Sundays? Because this is the show. This is the moment for church. But if I'm not able to be a neighbor to my neighbors, if I'm not able to actually love my family in the ways that God has challenged me to do that, if I'm not able to see a stranger, if I'm not able to see that person who put the other party's political thing on their lawn in a way with the kindness and love and righteousness that God has called me to, then I'm missing out on this celebration. And I want to celebrate with the king. I want to be on the list. And I want to be able to follow him well. And so when I walk through this passage, I don't know if it makes sense or connects with your life at all, but this is how my week has gone as I've read this passage from Matthew. I don't want to be on the, the foolish side of things. I want to be on the wise side. And I want to be prepared. And I want to do the hard work. You've been with people who've been prepared. They're like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts at things, right? They have everything you need when you go camping. That's what it's like. I was trying to describe what does this story remind me of. It reminds me of group projects in college where people didn't do their work. When they finally got to the end, they're like, hey, hey, hey. Well, where can I put my name? You're like, Joker, you weren't even a part of this whole thing. And you want the grade? No way. That's what the wise bridegrooms are saying that day. The bridesmaids are saying. So it's more than just about having enough oil. It's about being prepared. Because that's something that makes sense in our culture. Am I prepared to see the king at work this week? Am I able to join in? to the celebration that he's inviting me to. And it's not just a celebration that's going to happen years from now or perhaps long after we're gone. It's a celebration that happens now because we get to see him at work. And that is the beautiful thing about the kingdom. So let's pray. Lord, we are a people who never want to miss out. We have FOMO at our soul. There are people in this group who would say, yeah, that's me to a T. But we rarely want to miss out on a good thing. And this story in Matthew reminds us that your kingdom is a good thing in this world. It is, it is compelling. It is far-reaching. It goes beyond borders and political parties. It goes beyond our understanding of how we have perhaps drawn you into a box. And you are challenging us to love this world the way that you love the world. You are challenging us to be prepared. And so I pray for all of us in this room and online that our preparation is what gets us in the door. And perhaps 
our preparation looks differently for each one of us because you are on a journey with us, inviting us into your kingdom, wanting us to celebrate with the world around us because when the world can taste and see that you're good, oh, that's it, God. Would you lead us in powerful, shaping ways this week? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.